0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Constant Chaos. This is Rachel and Christy. We're joining you today with a very special guest that is calling into us from New Zealand. It's one of Rachel's good friends, old time friend, Mike.
1: Yeah, we met about 17 years ago when we were traveling in Southwest China. And it it turned out when we um, connected in person, when Mike came back to, um, to San Francisco about 11 years ago, we were both in a very similar um, stage of life um, in which we were both raising kids with some challenges Mike and his husband had adopted a son from foster care and I was at the time raising a I think a six and two year old and we
0: and one of yours was adopted too so yeah there's a lot of connections between the two of you which is super interesting
1: exactly and yeah we we just were able to connect about the challenges and as we've Uh, Mike and Marty have come through San Francisco a bunch of times since then and each time I feel like I'm so blessed to like be able to reconnect about this issue and he has been through a lot and he is a fantastic father and I kind of look to him as um for advice a lot of times so So your long distance role model exactly yeah (laughs) so Mike well hi to you
2: both and thanks for inviting me on
0: Oh, absolutely. We so, feel it, so privileged that you're here. and, and Don't you love his accent? I was going to say, and personally, I could just sit here and listen to you talk all day. So, you know, we might be long on this episode, everyone.
2: <laughs> I wish my son would listen to me all day, but no, it doesn't work like that. But thank you for having me, and it's great to, great to hear your voices as well.
1: So, Mike, can you tell us a little bit about um, the process you had in adopting your son and kind of the journey you, you've been on? Yeah, what's your story?
2: Okay, so... Um, it's, it's not the States, obviously. So we've got different laws around adoption and, um, fostering for children. And so one of the challenges we have is that in New Zealand, you can't actually adopt legally a child who is in care because the rights of the birth mother are always maintained and the connection through the family okay. to the birth biological parents always maintained in law. So, um, that's a tricky additional dimension in terms of security for the family emotionally and, um, Legally, so we have parenting orders, which gives us the responsibilities of a parent, mm-hmm. which is great. But um, but it doesn't give you the same rights as a parent in terms of intervention from sort of child services, or in terms of those other biological parent rights that most people have. So there's wow. a there's an interesting dimension when you've got a child with special needs, um, and especially when that child is pushing the boundaries in a way which actually brings you in contact with emergency services and um yeah so that's been challenging emotionally but it's at the same time also a real privilege to be able to actually have that responsibility and a child who needs love and needs a family and it's an incredibly it's a life-changing experience but it's also an incredible privilege to be able to actually have that mm-hmm.
1: um how old so, was how old was your son when you adopted him
2: he was he was four okay. ne- nearly five and I think I think Rachel wasn't quite eleven years ago. We we met up in San Francisco because the maths doesn't work because he's about to turn thirteen. He's just started in high school because our, okay. our school yeah. school year starts now. So that's an interesting transition as he becomes a teenager as well. Yeah,
1: you um, know what? I think it was eleven years after we met, but who's counting? Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Those <laughs> teachers don't matter. <mind. laughs> um, so he he joined us when he was almost five, and he was. Had his history of being quite severely neglected in terms of he was, mm. we were his fourth family that he was living with. And the previous two had literally gone back to our children's services and said, You need to take this child back. We cannot have him in our home because he is, his behavior is so extreme. He, was oh, a, wow. um, he has an overreactive fight response from his complex post traumatic stress disorder from neglect and experiencing of severe violence and abuse when he was little. And so when he was uplifted from his biological family, he literally went into a state of screaming and um he couldn't really talk very coherently. He he spent a lot of time screaming, literally just like a siren for hours every day. And was that when you first
1: he, Was that when you was he like that when you first got him?
2: Yeah. So he would he would just go he'd, he'd be triggered no, no one would know why and he would just spend probably two hours screaming like you know when your um a house has an alarm or a building has an alarm it's got that discordant noise that's incredibly like your your brain buckles from the sound and um little kids can do this quite effectively but that noise and he'd do it for probably two hours before he sometimes he'd actually um defecate and and pee himself like he'd just be a total mess like completely basic and then you'd clean that up and you have maybe half an hour on an hour and then it would kick off again and we'd go on for, and it would be maybe eight hours a day of of this terrified child just screaming oh my
1: gosh and that's that, kind
2: of where it started so so
1: how do you get um, how do you move past
2: that what um time and like one of the challenging things for us this there's, there's multiple things with our our little guy in terms of what makes him special. I mean, everyone's special in their own way. Mm. <laughs> no, it's more special than any other person. But, um, but for him, what he needed to relearn. And as, I was, as we were very fortunate to have a forensic child psychologist who specialized in um, children who'd suffered severe trauma. And um, she said, look, you're unpicking, you're unpicking um, years of, of wiring in his brain and rewiring it. And the main thing he has to learn is to be able to trust and that he is safe. So you, we can all know he's safe, but he doesn't feel safe. And, um, and I think for us, the big thing was just spending time mm-hmm. and just being there. And um, he was in such a, a heightened state that he couldn't sort of relax or soften his body at all. You could feel the tension in his body. It was just like stiff the whole time. And he had, when, we, when he joined our family, he had to, he didn't actually know how to even cuddle. Like he couldn't give affection or receive affection in any way. He was, um, he would just attack. So if you gave him a cuddle, he'd bite, he'd scratch, he'd,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, so that kind of really full-on thing. And we had to actually slowly, slowly teach him how to have human touch in a way which was safe and not overwhelming. And it took years and years and years of repeated small Repeated rituals in our family to actually get him to the point where he could could do it. I think he was only nine when he finally got to a point where he could climb into bed in the morning and give us the cuddle and not wow. actually attack us.
1: That must have felt amazing,
2: um, yeah, so like that kind of stuff's pretty full on and it, it affects his ability to learn or to um, engage with other people because you can't learn when you're scared, and he just has been scared for so much of his life so like that's that's really challenging, but at the same time mm-hmm. you i mean you've met met him virtually and yes. Can also be this delightful little guy who
1: he's delightful, um, yeah.
2: Can be a huge amount of fun to be around. So it's how you how we we've been focusing on how we increase the amount of time he's in that delightful little guy space and try and reduce the time he's in that tense fight or flight mode. Um, Challenging, yeah. Yeah, um, that's basically the short of it. Is how it pans out.
0: (laughs) So, Mike, how did did you know this is what he was like when you adopted him?
2: That's that's a really interesting question. So, I consciously knew this when I talked to them. (laughs) um, As as any parent knows, you know the theory of what it is, but the actual experience of it is like Mm -hmm. whoa. So, what you don't know. um, So, how can I put it? So, this is the same for all parents, I think. You know that it's going to change your life and you know that you're going to have this bond with this person that you is going to be different from you, that you're going to love, that you're going to do anything for. But you don't know what that anything is going to be. Yeah.
0: Completely.
2: Um, and, and you don't know the impact it's going to have on you emotionally or where you're, you hit the end of your ability to cope. So. Like I, I'm quite a resilient person. I was. I'm quite an intelligent, capable person, if I may say so. And you, you were. But, you were um, a
1: teacher before, right? Yeah,
2: I'm. I'm a teacher by profession. Yeah, and and so for me, it's like, yeah, I, I can do this. I know how behavioural strategies work. <laughs> like I actually worked as well in um, teacher education in terms of you know like super nanny stuff. Teachers. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I've got this. I can do this. Um, how and hard it could happened. it really be? You know, People do I this, this all, all the time. Really no, yeah. I, knew going, I knew it was going to be hard, but actually being in the heart versus just knowing it's going to be hard are two very different things. And, and I think the thing for me was just trying to, and that's I still struggle with it, is how to be kind to yourself. When you end up in a situation where you're doing something and you're just like, how the hell is this happening? Like it is unreal. <laughs> 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 I
1: always
0: say to myself, well, what did I do in my last life?
1: Was yeah, I really? Like, was I really
0: like? that bad? That's and what my
1: husband says all the
0: like, time. Something must have happened because I don't understand. Who, and who thought I was well suited to deal with this? Like, yeah, I, I don't. I don't get this.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: So um, one of the things, and I say this with great caution because this sounds terrible, but one of the things when I chose to foster was I just never understood how those terrible things could happen to these children. Like, why would a person do that to a child?
1: You know, oh yeah. Like, yeah. In
2: terms of a child being locked in a cupboard or like you know, like stuff like that, or like the abuse that children have. And then when <laughs> when we had this experience with Zayko, there are times when it's like, oh my god, like this has been going on now, but he has been screaming at me for eight hours, <laughs> I, I understand. And there's a very moment you go, like, I understand the the cupboard now. Like, I'm not going to do the cupboard, but I actually understand Stand. why yes. people get to this point. And I just never, like, for me, I just never knew that I'd ever be able to actually get my head around that. And now I'm like, it has been such a humbling experience. And in, the, in a way, such a humanizing experience. And I think all parents get that sense of having a child who you are responsible for is incredibly humanizing and dehumanizing <laughs> at the same time. But it makes you realise just it's incredibly leveling. Like we're all actually at the end of the day have have experiences which are overwhelming and incredibly important that we pull through, but it's still overwhelming while you're there. And it's it's this conflict that builds up inside you, which is like ah, how am I trying to be the adult when I actually I I can't do the adult thing at the moment? Like this has pushed me to the point where I cannot actually um, I can't be responsible for someone else when I'm in this state, and that's the thing for me, which has been so challenging
1: it's so hard,
2: yeah, so it, hard, but you know then so, it passes and you kind of come out the other side and it's it's good while you're <laughs> in, yeah, that's challenging thing.
0: while you're in that screaming moment, do you ever like where does your brain go? i know we we have a child who has challenges and panic attacks and you know has head yeah. moments and you know, I run around in my head, like, it's like, it's almost like I'm running around in my head and I'm going, do I take him to a hospital? Is this something Mm -hmm. that we just sit down and stay calm? Am I going to lose it? Like I start, it's almost like I'm having my mini intellectual panic attack of how do I solve this problem? I, I don't actually know how to solve this problem. (laughs) Right.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's, I think just your question captures, captures that beautifully. I don't think you can solve it. Like, I think that's, part of the dilemma for people who are used to being able to control things in their lives Mm -hmm. so especially with anxiety like you talk about the panic attack so um our little guy's got such um severe anxiety it's it and and people go what's the trigger and it's like well he woke up (laughs) 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 and he's having a non-functional day and it's just the way today is going to be and it's not a trigger it's anything that happens that is going to trigger this Mm -hmm. and and when people have had experience with it they go yep okay that's actually kind of what it feels like and what what's happened for us which is um tricky when you go you're trying to solve it in your head like what do i do what happened as uh, they got older um is that he's got an incredible his fight response is over overreactive, if I can call it, overdeveloped. So what happens is that he will fight with us. So it's very physical and very violent. And he's actually a very big kid. He's here. So um, he's already taller than my husband, and he's only 12. Yeah. And um, it means that we both keep quite fit and strong <laughs> for defensive reasons. And this is where things get really problematic because any external agency involved will always mm-hmm. go, you can't touch the child, you can't um, don't restrain them. And it's like, hang on a moment. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, you're literally back of the bus. This person is attacking me with heavy objects yeah, and I need to just run away. And so for me, when you go, can you solve this? We've got this, um, and I'm going to explain the catch twenty-two We find ourselves in, and, and every child is different. So you always have your own beautiful set of catch So, um, we have this problem that Xavier because of his trust issues and his abandonment issues, is a little, he can't even remember it as a little baby. He has an abandonment complex at the moment, which means that if you leave him, the panic intensifies. So even though he's actually homicidal and he's trying to kill me, like he's trying to kill me, if I leave, he gets more anxious, like it heightens it. And he's not really there. He's dissociated at that point. Right. So it's like, hmm, I can't talk about it. I can't engage with this. I can't even get my phone up to call emergency because mm-hmm. he will absolutely lose it, like it's impossible. So we, for uh, for a good year and a bit, just used to restrain him. Well, we've restrained him for since he was little because of the intensity, but we've had to restrain and restrain him um, to get him through this. And it can take up to 40 minutes for him to actually calm down. And I don't for one minute advise this to anyone as a, as a thing to do, like it's not, it's hugely problematic, but mm-hmm. it's the only way we've actually not been injured. Um, and we have called for the last year and a half. We've had to call the police regularly, like probably every three or four wow. weeks, when we've managed to actually get out. And you can hear the house being destroyed. And he is—he is, is very—he ideates his um, suicidal intention really strongly at the moment. Um, it's all really scary stuff. And so, we real question about how do you solve this? For me, I think what I've come to grips with, there's two things which are really important for me, is to have worked up beforehand what the plan is. Like, what is the strategy I'm currently going to try my best to use? Um, and the, the thing I am grappling with is that when it happens, I go into fight or flight mode myself. Um, and I'll get back to that in a moment, because that's probably the most dangerous piece of the of the puzzle moment is when a grown man goes yeah. into fight-or-flight mode. It's like, whoa, this is where things become unsafe, because you're not actually in control in the way you want to be as a parent. Like, you're unable to parent in the way that you, that's values mine, is what, you know, your deepest sense of what your role is. Um, and so, when, what we've got is just a really clear plan of what we can and can't do, and what we will and won't do. Mm-hmm. And we just have to weather it, if, if that makes sense. So, so if I'm we find ourselves in a situation where I have to restrain him, that's happening. I'm doing it. Like if we go camping and we're in the middle of frigging nowhere in a campsite with a whole other campus and Zegas starts having an episode in the campsite, it is incredibly dangerous. There are no hard surfaces that people can hide behind. There's no, like he will go on a rampage. And in that situation, it's like you're being restrained right now. And,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: we always explain to the other people around us what the situation is. And generally speaking, the general, general population are incredibly empathetic because they are all concerned about the care of children and all yeah, concerned I think, about the other people's welfare. So, can
1: you see that in America? It, it sounds like a New Zealand thing.
2: Right. <laughs> uh, I think that possibly, but I also think that when people are given the opportunity to understand, they do. So one of the things, oh, I'm going to just digress slightly on this one. One thing which happened very, very early on in our support from the forensic psychologist, I when Xavier was like five or six, she said, look, there are two things which she said which are really so valuable. I keep coming back to them. One was, when do you want to have the fight? Now or when he's 16? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Yeah. We. She said, so she's like, you need to draw those lines on certain things now while he's young. And you just have to be consistent with them. And you have to have whatever well, the, the process you put in place, those things are not acceptable now. And they won't be when you're 16, but you've got to have the fun now. Like the line needs to be drawn. And there's mm-hmm. so many instances now and I'm like, oh my gosh, you are so right.
0: Yeah, someone said that thing, to me once about yeah. the um, the, their brains are in a development place, right? So you have to yeah. get them while well, you can still impact yeah. that and have them understand because then they're bigger and they're set yeah. more in their ways and, and it's challenging. Well,
1: you, you told me that. Totally. Mike. Remember when we, we met up with you guys at the Exploratorium? Oh, yeah. I remember you yeah. told me, you said to me, you're like, he is going to get bigger and you need to yeah. be able to contain him in a way when he, cause I think he was, my little guy was like attacking me or something. And yeah. I, I don't know how old he was at the time. And you showed me the way of hold, of contain, of holding him. Like, you know, Yeah, and, so really and I try that. Force. It still doesn't, it still doesn't work. I can't make it work. Yeah. So,
2: so it doesn't work. It doesn't work for you. Don't, don't. No, but I, no, but I can't like, so. I, he's, yeah. I've
1: never been able to, um, to do it. But I, I always think about you when I, when I've tried to do that.
2: Yeah. So like, that's interesting. So for me, the thing with that restraining thing is it's extremely, for me, I'm not a physically engaging person. Like that. I, it actually causes me deep stress to have to do that. And, um, and that's tr- really tricky. And I, I, and it's not advisable because if the person starts relying on being restrained, then you have to do it like, what's interesting for me is that Xavier got to the point where we could we can do the restraint and it's actually not very physical in that sense anymore because he's, he's conditioned to just calming down when he's yeah, in. Yeah, I remember like you he had, needs you'd
1: said to me, like, it was, like, almost like he, he liked it. So it's, like, what it is, Christy. It's, like, you're just yeah. kind of holding the child. It's, like... You kind of yeah. you bring them in and you're you're holding them tight, which becomes a safe haven for it's, them. It's, right? It's
0: it like them, it's like swaddling your your yeah. child. It's like swaddling yeah. the, baby. the weighted it's, blanket. It's the it's all that pressure that yeah. those it's children need, plan. right? Yeah. So really-
2: the challenge is, of course, keeping yourself calm when you doing not So it feels like a safe space because when you're doing it, sometimes you're actually heightened anxiety yes. yourself. So that's something you have to kind of condition and train yourself to do. But it also because he's so big, it looks violent because he he's very melodramatic and, and he'll put on this big show and he'll be yelling. I don't know you, someone that's hurting me. I don't know who he is. It's like, okay.
1: You, you just have to be like, okay.
2: So, back up the past.
1: So, well, you... <laughs> you, so you sound like you're just like, and I know you like, and I see your wonderful life on Facebook and you and Marty have a great marriage. You guys do a lot of fun stuff. Like, how do you, how do you take care of
2: yourselves? Um, yeah. So, um, Yeah, so that's interesting. So (laughs) So Facebook's not real. Facebook Live.
1: We all know Facebook
2: Live. No, the the main thing is, like, on Facebook, of course, no one's going to post. Like, I can't post every police. Like, I I don't think that any. most people who follow me on Facebook wouldn't know that we have regular police calls for family violence in our home. There's huge shame associated with that stuff, and people just don't understand it. Um, And so, and it's also a huge denial. And... Mm. Um, So I don't do that publicly in that sense. Um,
1: But but you guys get it. Like I've seen you. uh, You guys are good at getting time away.
2: Yeah. So what we've what we've always done. um, The number of layers to this, um, Rachel. So the first thing is that we we refuse to let Xavier drive us apart. We we have really clear strategy on how to keep aligned on stuff. Um, To the extent that Xavier, because Xavier will. physically drive us apart like if we go for a walk he will stand between us and actually he's not very subtle about this at all love him to bits but like not subtle and um, <laughs> and so we've got some understandings in terms of like well xavier are you actually holding our hands while you do this because if you're not going to hold my hand and i'm going to hold dad's hand like we're going to be showing love between us and if you're part of it you can be in the middle and do it but you can be on the side you can choose which person you're going to stand next to but you can't stop us from actually being part of a family which shows affection and love. So we've got little things like that, which we've done since day one, which always come in handy. And then um, there are other things which happen, which are like, if he attacks us in public, like this, is, we'll go for a walk. And he will actually attack us on the street. And Martin and I now both do it sounds ridiculous. I'm say, before I say this, I'm just gonna say it sounds ridiculous, but it actually works. Matt and I will just look at each other and go, Three, two, one, and we just run. And we're, we're gone. <laughs> and it's like, he can't stop us from running him. We're both really fit, which oh, you helps. See, they're,
1: they're but we're just gone. literally,
2: we're gone. They're until gone. you start actually being calm enough to be around us. And we love you to bits. You know, he knows the drill, but we're actually gone because he's like, t- attacking us. But he knows how to get home and he can get himself home. And he's been able to do that since he was five because it was, it's always been this thing. But I'm not going to stand there and be abused by him. Like, it's not going to happen. And um what I want
1: to hear about, and I know everyone wants to hear about this, I know Christy does but well, I wonder you guys like and this is maybe it's a New Zealand thing um or through um the adoptions in New Zealand, but do you get respite care as well, right
2: so okay, so this is interesting we've had to fight quite hard for that, so yes, we do get access to um at okay. the moment we get two full days and nights of it's okay. <laughs> experience like I said I oh, have to find okay. the care myself so okay. we've got luckily we've got a really close friend who who does this I think you might have actually yeah she was with her. you
1: in, in the barrier.
2: Yeah. yeah yeah um so she she um does two full days and nights uh a, mm-hmm. a month for us and then my family has been great they they do um my sister looks after him for a, a weekend every week couple of months and, and so on so what happens is we've actually gotten so we've learned that we actually need breaks otherwise the whole thing collapses like we actually structure in breaks really regularly sometimes it looks like oh my god that's, that's a lot of time apart but actually it works it, it's the only way we well, can get you need through
1: it, you need to like get you need to like <clears throat> calm yourself down
2: yeah basically you need just a, some decompression time so we probably get i would say we, we've now got it to the point of either having three or four days a month that's of great. not being together and if we go away like I'm not during the summer holiday we've just had so our summer's obviously the opposite um, yeah. time of year from yours um so we've just had our summer break and we went away for two weeks camping and during that time Xavier went away himself to stay with my parents or with my sister for another for five nights all up so in two little clumps so we had he effectively went camping three times <laughs> we went once but um we, we broke it up like that. Otherwise, it just um, doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I think the and one other thing I just wanted to add in terms of the how do you cope piece, which was Christy's question was, the other strategy which was given to us by the psychologist, which was, it's a piece of gold for me. People often say, and this is something I just can't get my head around, people will often say, control your child. Oh, yeah. uh, you'll yes. be familiar with this one. It is possibly the most useless and offensive and for me personally triggering thing because on so many levels, it's so disrespectful to the child like that's not your job like as a parent you're not there to control you're there to help them grow and develop and become autonomous it's like war well, you want me to be opposite of what parents are meant to do like i'm not here as a controller i'm here as an enabler as a you know like so for me it's a, a majorly problematic thing and often what will happen when said was having an episode and they are incredibly violent they're incredibly disturbing for people to watch is They come at it in terms of control your child, as in you're disturbing my day, yeah. Like, yeah, um, it's a, and the psychologist was just brilliant. She's like, that's not your concern, your concern is the welfare and well being of your child and of yourself and other, like, you know, it's about safety. And um, she said, you need a phrase that you can say to people in public, which lets them realize that you're doing your best, but also that that mm-hmm. their problem with you is not actually the problem. So she said, what you do is you go, are you concerned for the welfare or well-being of the child? And normally the answer is no. <laughs> like they're not. They're just no, worried they are. on no. the noise level. They're like, there's too much noise. It's like they're right. not worried about the child's welfare. No. You are, which is why you're reacting the way you are.
1: Right. They're
2: not. And, if you, and then before they get a chance to respond, you go, if you are, please feel free to call, and in your case, 911. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Otherwise, offer me some help. Right. And they yeah. normally back down completely. And if they continue, you go, You're like for us, also, we, we have professional help. But I'm following the advice of our professional help. Please call 911 if you are concerned for their welfare. And they're not. People right. don't yeah. call the police. I've had, in the whole time we've had Xavier, I've had one no, two people offer help and then call emergency services for us because you can't grab your phone. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, yeah. are you offering me help or are you just here to criticize me in my moment of stress? Most people so,
1: are just, just want to like, criticize, sadly. But then well, and just, I guess yeah. the
0: other thing too for me is like, so I've had some public situations like that and um, my husband and I go back and forth a little bit because I don't worry about who sees me, who's watching. Yeah. Or how loud I'm being, yeah, my objective is to get the situation under control the best way I can mm-hmm. and if there are casualties around me that don't want to see it, hear it or you know want mm. to talk about it later, I really could, could care less yeah
2: exactly
0: it's but- that that's not happening, <clears throat> and sometimes he'll go lower your voice or David, you know a little us- a little bit of like you know, these are private situations And I'm thinking to myself, I'm trying to keep this kid alive right now
2: I- I- uh, okay. private yeah.
0: there's nothing private I, about this
2: yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think yes that, that to me was what, very early on for our, in our experience um i realized there's no space for shame in this
1: i think yeah. shame
2: mm-hmm. shame is the thing that makes it impossible for you to actually function as the key as a carer because you're trying to balance a public sense of what should be with what actually is mm-hmm. and you just can't can't you can't sort of square the circle on that one and um yeah, I think that's really, really critical. And within and Rachel, to your question about how Martin and I manage our own health, I think one of the pieces which was really critical was that conversation, and actually having um, the confidence to know that we were doing our best, regardless of how how absolutely appalling it can sometimes look. Because it's like, actually, by the time it gets to that point, it's like there is nothing else left in my my bucket of um, my toolkits is empty. You know, mm-hmm. like I, it's, and you do get to the point where there's nothing else left other than like you you get to your base level of how do I respond to this, and the piece, one of the things you, we did very early on, when I could see how violent it was becoming, and I, I don't know why I, I felt this, but it was like, I think it's because of seeing how, um, and then not seeing in in first hand, but I like second hand accounts of women in violent relationships where the abuser is the the husband or the partner and how often it's kept secret. There's so much shame associated with it, and there's so many, it's so complex that the, somehow the woman hides it, right. and it keeps going on. And very early on, I'm like, right, if, you're gonna, if we're gonna have this noise and this abuse, we're gonna just walk it out the front door onto the street. I'm not doing this in my home. Like, the home is a safe place, and I don't care how embarrassing this should be, but if it's going to happen, it's happening where other people can see it because mm. I'm not pretending it's not happening.
1: And I like that because I feel like just otherwise you're in, a prisoner in your house. And also whatever, yeah. whatever your, whatever the t- whatever your case may be. I mean, if Christine, I've seen like since starting this podcast, people have reached out to us and been like, oh, my God, my the people like we didn't even know had challenges yeah. have told us that what's going on in their home and they've kept it so tight and such a tight lid on it. Because there's shame around it, so and
2: much shame. I, yeah, and and it's ironic because you should do, because it's such hard work. You shouldn't be ashamed of doing the work. Like it's it's there's an irony to this because it's the hardest situations are the ones that people are ashamed of, and yet it's like you're going to get through this, and you you should be proud that you've got through this. There should be a lot of confidence and courage in there, but
1: and it also shows hard. other people. I mean, you, you have an extreme situation, like really, really super challenging. And I, but I feel like every, regardless, people should – we need to talk about these issues that people are going through, whatever they are, instead of putting on this like, perfect yeah. face like, oh, everything's fine, my kids are perfect, we don't yell at our kids, my kids aren't hard, whatever it is,
2: you know? Yeah, yeah and also I think part of it is – oh, so there's an echo happening – back at me on the podcast oh
0: that's
2: not good we don't hear it we don't hear it either yeah okay i'll just okay i'll just persevere um yeah (laughs) i think i think that idea of having perfect (laughs) the perfect child the perfect family is actually really toxic it's really um problematic um because your family is your family and the people you love are the people you love and they have the we all have our issues we all have our our vulnerabilities we're all fallible um and in some ways, that learning your fallibility and your vulnerability is one of the joys of parenting. Well, actually, I think it is one of the biggest joys is just being able to accept your, your humanity. Um, the thing is how your children can push you right to the edge. And that's, that's the thing, which is so hard, because you want to go, yep, yeah, that's not the person I want to be. Oh,
1: I say that to like, my kids also, all the time. I'm like, do you think I wanted yeah. to be this? Do you think I grew up? Do you think when I was a little girl, I'd say this is the dream. This was I like, wanted I, I to. I want. I the <laughs> <a> Barbie dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. did, you, did you think I just wanted to yell at you? Like I was like, I I want to grow up and yell at my kids. Oh my That's I what know. I. I think the other thing, <laughs> yeah. like
0: for me, is I've had people ask me questions about whether I'm going to hang in there.
2: What's the choice? That's so interesting. What's the choice? That's so interesting. It never occurred to me that it was a choice.
0: Like, it's (laughs) it's never occurred to me this was a choice. Like, this is my family. I love them dearly. This is the cocktail that was poured for me. And I... You're downing it. (laughs) I am downing it. And I want to make sure that everybody in my family is going to have the best life they can have with my support. Yes, yes, yes. And there's no shipping it off there's no me running away there's no you're not going to get a full-time job i'm not yeah why don't you just go back to work and let someone else deal with it i mean there's all these different comments that have been made over the years and i just sort of laughed to myself i'm like no i'm actually thinking the opposite i'm trying to figure out how to never have to work again so that i can make sure that this is all perfect like you know i'm I'm doing yeah Yeah. i'm providing the best day week month life Mm. like yeah that I can give and yeah it might kill me but <laughs> this is what I signed up for and and I don't want to look back and think wow I didn't try right that, that my, kid, know, so my kid my kid may so have funny needed you me say that though,
2: right? because because I think that's a really common experience because <laughs> obviously you want to be the best parent you can be I mean I know you're being a little facetious when you say it'll kill you it's not it's not going to like well, can, I, I've can got, got some this, really
0: right? nice deep wrinkles for it <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so w extra grey hair. We all need some more of those. Yeah. Um, and um, but the thing which amazes me is when the question is asked. It's asked naively by people in terms of. I think they genuinely they mean it as a compliment. Like what I think they're saying is, wow, you've put it, you. How do you do this? As in, like it's amazing you can keep doing this. But they actually are literally asking you when are you going to give your child away? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, but, but, and it's like, I, I always go, I'm not sure I understand what you mean. And they go, but you have, and people will say, but you have a choice. I mean, yeah. but no, I don't. how do you have a choice? <laughs> like, what's the choice? What is the choice here? Like, this is your child. No, the choice so from was. From the child's m- perspective. Yeah. yeah. Th- they see you as their parent. What's the choice to not, like, that's the ultimate betrayal. It, it's like, it's like, you can't, it, I don't see the choice here.
0: Yeah, it's, hard, it's hard.
2: It's hard yakka, but there's no, oh, I'm not, I've had enough of this. Not, it's not like a, you know, choosing a new car or something. It's yeah. like, it's a human bond, which is so deep. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting yeah. that you get the same thing because people do that to me all the time as yeah. well. And they're like, and like, well, I'm not sure I understand. And I think what, you know, the kind of, I see your question about the, Oh, is it you, Rachel? But the um the bond between Martin and me in terms of our family is having that understanding as a common piece. Like that's one of the things. is like this is not a choice in that sense. How you navigate it, there are lots yeah. of choices. But that we've kind of thrown ourselves that we we ended up um, both giving up our actual professional um lives. We've earned very little money now running um, working for ourselves, running um social enterprises. Um and just could have sort of put it together. And it's basically one year to the next in a sense, in terms of there's no real long term planning anymore, because you don't actually know what's going to come next in terms of the next diagnosis that's going to come through and the behaviors change and like, well, now we at the moment, we really can't travel anymore. Whereas when we first got to catch up with you, Rachel, we were able to travel mm-hmm. all the time as, as challenging as that was. And okay. then now that we're, he's in high school, I don't know what the next thing is going to be in terms of his self-esteem and how that's going to come through in terms of behavior. But one of the things that we're really clear on, and this is since day one, is that in our system and the statistics around children who are in care, it's something ridiculous, like 80% of children who end up in foster care end up with incarcerated, by the time they're 20 simil- so to get it's, incarcerated it's, it's yeah, similar, it'll be similar. similar in the us yeah yeah it's really similar and so and there's another layer in terms of racism on that because people of color in both our systems end up incarcerated and and also uplifted lifted more often from their families like there's a, a systemic issue here which is really really damaging so our child is um is not um or white mm-hmm. in, in American sense like that he's uh, he is um of mixed pacifica ancestry as well mm-hmm. so what that means is that he looks different from us he gets treated slightly differently from us and all mm-hmm. societies have their racism and the systemic thing there is, is is just like you have in the states it's similar here in terms of that and so if you kind of have this thing where you want to go how how do you make sure that uh, that pathway, which the system generates, isn't the pathway for this child? Like the commitment we made wasn't to get him to kind of struggle through it and then just end up in jail. That's not what we... That's no, not the no, goal. that's not right. the
1: goal. The goal is to
2: launch and, him. Um, no, but what it means, I think there's an honesty needed in the, in the conversation. And We had this really interesting, interesting it's not the right word, but it was interesting in retrospect, situation when we were living in a small town, a smaller town in New Zealand, and, he Xavier was new to that school and they insisted for some reason I'm treating him as if he was the same as everyone else. And I'm like, but he's got these special needs. This is his experience, he's got trauma, blah, blah, blah. But this is what's gonna happen. And if it triggers his fight response, he's going to punch another kid. He's gonna hurt And That's how he's gonna do it. If he feels unsafe, it's going to happen. You mm-hmm. need a strategy in place to stop it. And schools always do this thing, which is like, We've got a zero tolerance of
1: violence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Of course you do. But what that looks like is looking at why the violence is happening and then having zero tolerance. of so also bullying and children yeah. not feeling safe. And like there's zero tolerance for lots of things. And how you have zero tolerance isn't kicking the kid out of school. It could be you need some supervision. Like, I don't know. There's like lots of ways. Right. Let's
1: like, anyway. like here.
2: We um, might have an aide in a classroom. Right. Yeah, totally. so um, there's this incident where Xavier ended up picking up a kid and throwing them across the playground. Oh, my and, God. Um, and so, like, he was stood down. So I said to the principal, you know, oh, I, actually, this wasn't. I I've got to a point where I don't need to be professional as the parent anymore. Like I used to, as my teacher background, I would always try and be really professional as a parent to the teachers. Now I'm like, I'm a parent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you what I think because I had this conversation too many times. And so the principal was on on um, uh, crossing duty, the pedestrian crossing duty after school. So all the little kids with the you know the the little Lollipop booms, mm-hmm. you know, you really mm-hmm. across that kind of thing, and so was there on duty, and I went up to her and like, "Look, you've just did my child down. That's fine, I get that. This is the first time. If you do it again, I'm not going to accept it. He's got an actual disability. You need to treat this as a, as a disability, and I hate that word, but you need to treat this as a medical condition, and I can help you to understand that. And if you don't want to. I'm going to just bring it on because you've been breach of human <laughs> rights. And in New, New Zealand, we don't sue each other. And I'm like, I'm going to get a lawyer and just sue you. And that, that too, in our context, context is like, what? Anyway, so it's not like America where it's like custom, every other <laughs> At the least, you go, oh, I'm sick of it. I'm really sick of it. So like, I know that his, statistically his outcomes are going to be, like statistically, they should be awful and they're not going to be. like It, it is not going to happen, right? So I said to her, I explained to her, I said, you're an agent of the state. So this child's been uplifted because of appalling things that have Mm -hmm. happened to him. He's uplifted. He's put into our care and actually into your care. And you are, are, it's, it's, it's your responsibility to do whatever you can to stop that pathway from being negative. What do you need to do to make it to shift each in, God, each little inference you can make? And this, like You need to make these little changes everywhere you can. And she said, well, like, what do you mean? I went, well, I told her what the stats were. And she actually burst into tears. And she's like, okay, I hear what you're saying. I just don't know what that means. So I have to, I'll meet you tomorrow. We met the next day. And she went, right, I don't even know how we accommodate this. But what we're doing is not in his interests. And they were just amazing. Because what came Mm. from that, like, heavy duty advocacy was, they actually had a conversation with their special needs teachers and with their DPs, which went around, it's a kind of like this analogy I used was, for slavery's condition, it's a little bit like a kid. And I always find that with special needs, which are to do with behavior and with um, learning difficulties and with the, the invisible things. It's always good if you can find an analogy which um, links to a physical disability that people are used to accommodating. Right. Yeah. So I said, I said, imagine you have a child who's got um, a, like um, diabetes or something. Cerebral, well, like yeah. cerebral palsy, right? Yeah. So they can't walk; they they struggle to yeah. walk, but they can't function perfectly normal with everything else. So in your science class, you have a science experiment, and this in a school with zero tolerance for damage to property zero tolerance for damage and so after the science experiment with all the beakers and stuff you have to pack up because everyone has to be responsible for themselves like that's the policy that's how it works yeah. and like for typical kids that's fine like you can clean up your mess and you won't break anything but this kid darn it she keeps breaking the beakers every time she'll <laughs> walk over and smash them and i've spoken to her about it as she keeps smashing the beakers so she's not allowed to be in the chemistry class and like you could see the teacher going oh my God, it's exactly what's happening here.
1: Right. Because
2: you would just say, okay, you don't need to carry the beakers, but you've done a really good experiment. So I'm going to get one of your colleagues to help you or your peers can help you right. with your cleanup because you can't do that piece. And they were like, okay, I get it. And I said, so the same thing happens in terms of our our boy's behavior is if he's feeling scared, he's going to fight. My question to you is what's making him scared? He's at school. He has to be at school by law.
1: How do you I'm be, how keep do giving
2: you. him to you by law. How do you keep you're him making safe? you him scared. <laughs> so what are you doing to not make him scared at school? And she's like, okay, I see the problem. And then what was beautiful, this is one of those stories which just makes me like beam with joy. There was another incident where he punched the kid. I get this call from the, the deputy principal going, hi, Mike, you just need to inform me about this, but this is quite an, innocent, and I think you're going to find it quite funny today. And I'm like, okay, well, what is it? He's like, well, what's quite funny? Because Xavier was, um, had this group of other kids around him, and they were going, well, there's a new kid. Would, this is like classic bullying. There's a new kid who they were trying to kind of trick into getting Xavier to... Um, to make Xavier angry and to punch the kid. And he actually said, punch me, punch me, like in this, you can imagine this scene, these oh, boys, wow. punch me, punch me, punch yeah. me, and eventually Xavier punched him. So zero tolerance for violence. Normally what would have happened is Xavier would have been stood down. But the school, because of their understanding, went, so what we did was we got the kid who had gone, punch me, punch me, punch me, and went, what do you expect to happen when you say that to someone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he did exactly what you asked, right? That's the first right. thing. second thing, why What? Why were you doing this? So like you were doing this was that to make Xavier feel safe? Or was it to bully Xavier? And he's like, Oh, no, it was definitely not going to make him feel safe. Right? So you were bullying someone, and you caused violence in the school, we've got a zero tolerance towards violence, you are stood down. And the thing which was interesting was when they got the parents of those kids into the school and explained the situation, all the parents were like, what is the consequence for my child for participating in this bullying? None of them thought that Xavier needed to be um, disciplined for actually ending up in a panic space. And Uh, I think for me, that was like, wow, you can do this.
1: What a win. I mean, what a win. That's, that's
2: awesome. That that kind of, that kind of understanding can happen, but it takes, it takes commitment and bravery from school staff as well. But like, it's just one of those amazing things. Like, yep. Thank you so much. And the funny thing for me was, I know it's not funny, but the principal had good humor about it to go, Mm -hmm. look, I'm just informing you. You need to know. You don't need to come in for a disciplinary meeting. This happened. You need to check in with Xavier. Is actually okay when he gets home because it was a horrible experience for Xavier. But like, can we just leave it at that? And we're dealing with the bullies. So to me, that was like, yes.
0: What a win because, because those conversations yeah. can be so tricky. Yeah. And exactly. Parents, you know, all parents can come in with so much. Defensive behavior and emotion tied up into what yeah. is going on with their children or other children, and
2: do it, yeah, and, and
0: everybody yeah. does it, and it sometimes it's just the way it works. But I mean, to be able to, and I think because maybe of your heightened situation, to be able to have those those kind of cool thought that cool thought process, and yeah. and being able to articulate and explain it, you know, all in such a way where it works out to be the right, the right crime and punishment, right? Yep. Um, And most of the time I feel like that doesn't actually happen, that at least here we I've watched and witnessed none none of which my children were directly involved in but with friends and such yeah. where their the school's attitude is well everybody has a piece wow. in it we're going to punish all of you it doesn't mm-hmm. matter who's right or wrong and mm-hmm. and I could explain it in the same way like it was a similar situation where yeah. they were antagonizing let's fight after yeah. school i'm coming after you i'm coming after you you know that kind of thing and then at the end of the day they were all punished equally and that's not really what happened right
2: yeah, that's not. Yeah, I think there's a fairness question. And as a, as a like, the, for me, what's interesting is like I look back on my own teaching, teaching life and go, oh my gosh, I just wish I'd had this experience before I was the dean or before I was a deputy principal yeah. myself because this insight. I look back at some of the cases I had to deal with and go, oh, okay, I would have dealt with. Fortunately, not that many. I would have dealt with that but there are some. I'm like, oh my gosh, this. Now that I understand it this way the fairness here and the the parents, unfortunately weren't able to articulate it as clearly as I, I am, Mm -hmm. but I just wish that those kids had had better advocates for them so that I could have understood where they were coming from and what was going on.
1: You should write them all Um, letters. Exactly. (laughs) All right. I I hate to do this, Mike, but, um, I have to go pick up my kids at school. This no, you don't. I know it's early pickup day. I hate early pickup day. Um, Uh, yeah, well, I thank Um, you so, so much for sharing your story. You guys are amazing parents. Xavier is incredibly lucky. I know know that every day (laughs) it's it's a challenge. Um, And we could talk to you for hours. I
0: mean, I have so many questions. We might have to bring you back. Yeah. He's a good um, – um, any, any he actually um, offered to be a coach
1: for me for behavior. Oh, my gosh, really? Yeah, exactly. Remember? You should
0: start your – I don't know what you're doing now, but you should start your own business in this. You have so many great nuggets that you've shared. <laughs> I'm going to remember this for I think a long you, time. You,
1: sh- you should start a, um, your own podcast or some videos. You are so handsome. Videos would be great. <laughs> <laughs> do,
0: you a, do you have a YouTube channel Come we can back. refer everyone to? <laughs>
2: Thanks for thanks for your time as well and, and for the chat. It's always good to um, talk to other people who have similar experiences, and you can have a laugh about it because
1: you have to. I think
2: to. I think one of the things is when you when you're talking to people who don't, they take it very. I mean, it's serious, but they can't get that, like seriously, and it's like ah, oh, yeah. But actually, having a laugh is important as well. And, oh, it is. Yes. Um, yes.
1: And and,
2: and, it's, and it's not like you can really get it right. It's, you you everyone's doing their best, I think. And, when you're yes. dealing with these tricky situations. Anyway, yep. We'll, we'll hey, bring great, you back. Great chatting to you and-
1: we'll talk soon, Mike. Thank you.
2: Okay. See you guys. Bye. bye. All right. Bye.
0: Well, thank you so much for listening to Rachel and I today. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to follow us on Facebook, you can find us at Constant Chaos. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at Podcast Chaos.